as we continue our series, The Mission of the Kingdom. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we read of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing in those days. And when they were... And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and the glory. For it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me. It'll be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The grass withers, the flower fades, but not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. The question we often ask ourselves whether we're facing big trials or small ones is how do I survive? How do I survive the challenges of life? How do I survive suffering? How do I survive this big test? How do I survive the pressures of life? We need to know how we survive the hard challenges we're faced with. Jesus here in Luke chapter 4 is faced with a great challenge. He's tested and tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And it is through the temptation and the accusations that the devil makes and the way he assaults Jesus Christ that gives us the answer for how we are to survive the hardships and the challenges, the temptations and trials and tests of this world. How do we handle what life throws at us? And how in the world can you and I survive? The first thing that I want to pull out of this passage this morning in Luke chapter 4 is that we are, we see here in Luke chapter 4 the real battle. The real battle at hand that Jesus is facing. We're told that it's the devil. It's the devil that is tempting and accusing and putting pressure on Jesus Christ. And now you might say to yourself, wait, the devil? You actually believe in a devil? Like modern, sophisticated people believe in a devil? The Christianity actually believes that there's a devil and he's real. Listen to me. 
It is so dangerous if you live your life without having a biblical worldview of evil and the reality of the devil. In Luke chapter 4, we are told that this is not some modern, natural dilemma that Jesus is facing in the desert, in the wilderness. But we are told from the beginning here in Luke chapter 4 that the battle is a spiritual one. And if you mistake the battles of this life and the battles of this world for merely natural kind of explanations for why bad things happen, if we want to have natural explanations for the reality of evil in this world, you will never truly come up with the trite solution for how to engage in the battles of life. You see, the secular view has always been that evil needs a natural explanation. But the problem is a natural explanation for the reality of evil only leads to natural solutions. And that's what humanity has been trying to do for thousands of years. We deal with it through social enlightenment, education, legislation, economic reform. Oppression, socialism and communism must be the answer. Oppression, critical theory. And for thousands of years, we have been trying to answer away the reality of evil by saying these are just natural phenomenons. Therefore, we're left with natural solutions. And I ask you, is the world any better because of it? If we do not have a biblical worldview of the devil and a biblical worldview of evil, understanding the reality of evil is ultimately a spiritual battle, not, as Paul says, a battle against flesh and blood, we will never truly understand how to engage the battles of life, how to survive. We must understand that the battles and the trials and the temptations and the sufferings of this world are not against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle. The chaos in this world and the chaos in our heart can only be solved through the supernatural work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we reduce this battle to a natural one, we will never be able to survive. The reality of the supernatural evil and the supernatural reality of the devil allows us alone to face the battle of life. We need to be able to determine the real battle, and it's not against flesh and blood. But the second thing that we see in Luke chapter 4 is not just the reality of where evil comes from, not just the reality of the spiritual battles of life, but we also see in Luke chapter 4 how the devil, how the enemy works. We're told here that Jesus was tempted. He was tempted three times. In verses three and four, he was tempted to take the stones and to turn them into bread. In verses five through eight, he's tempted with power that all of the kingdoms of this world can be yours. And then he's tempted a third time in verses nine through 12, tempted to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple to see if God would save him. But let me just pause there because you might in the back of your mind go, wait a second, Jesus was tempted? I thought Jesus was God. How can God be tempted? 
Please understand that part of the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, Jesus being not only God, but Jesus also being man, is that he was tempted just like us. Hebrews chapter 5, 4, excuse me, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, the beauty and the glory of Jesus in the incarnation is not that he had the appearance of man, but that he actually was a man, that he is a human being. He is not only the son of God, but he is the son of man. And our only hope in this life is that we can go through trials and tribulations knowing this as the children of God, that there's nothing, nothing in our lives that Jesus has not experienced. That we can go through our lives saying, Jesus suffered, Jesus was tempted, the pressures of this world were put on Jesus Christ so that we can go through this life saying, Jesus is never removed, never removed from our pressures or trials and our tests in this life. Jesus was tempted and tested just like us. You see, in order for him to be our perfect substitute, He could not only come and have the appearance of a man, but he had to be a man. He had to be not only like Adam, he had to be the second Adam who came into this world to be our perfect substitute, to be tempted and tried just like us. And how does the enemy tempt Jesus? Well, we see here in Luke chapter 4 that he tempts him through regular, ordinary means. It's interesting, when we think about the devil and we think about the enemy's tactics, and we think about the devil in particular, we think in our modern, sophisticated state, we think the exorcist. We think about heads spinning around, green stuff coming out of the mouth, right? If we're honest, that's what we think about the devil. But the devil doesn't use that, does he? The devil's far too cunning. The devil uses normal, ordinary things like food and power. He uses ordinary material things. That's how the devil works. He's far too cunning, far too calculated. This is how the devil works. This is the enemy's tactics. And we will never survive unless we understand just as the devil approached Jesus this way, this is exactly how he uses his temptation towards us, uses the normal, ordinary things of this world to lure us in and to tempt us. And when the the enemy tempts Jesus or he tempts us, what is the devil ultimately doing? He's always challenging the authority and the holiness of God. Notice what the devil does here. In verses 9 through 12, the devil even has the audacity to take the word of God. You notice the devil is quoting scripture? I mean, literally diabolical, right? Using scripture against Jesus in order to tempt him, in order to accuse him. But not only does the enemy tempt, and this is important to see, but he also accuses Jesus. You say, Pastor, how does the devil accuse Jesus. 
Do you notice twice in this passage, he says, if you are the son of God, what is the devil doing? He is saying, if you're the son of God, surely God's for you. If you're the son of God, surely God will provide bread. If you're the son of God, surely God will protect you if you were to fly off the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil does the same to you and I. He uses the tactic of accusation. If you're a child of God, surely this wouldn't be happening to you right now in your life. If you are a child of God, if you're a son or daughter of the king, surely he'll provide for you. Or maybe you find yourself in a trial this morning and the devil is accusing you this way. I mean, why even come to church? I mean, all of these bad things happening in your life right now. I mean, if God is really for you, if you're a child of God, I mean, isn't all this a joke? Do you see how the devil works? He tempts us with the good things of this world, but he also accuses us. It is the roar of the accuser. And we need to be aware and vigilant of how the devil works using the good things of this world to get us to buy into the idols of this world, but accuse us to doubt our salvation. To accuse, to, he accuses us to doubt our position and our identity as sons and daughters of God. This, these are the tactics of the devil, the tactics of the enemy to tempt us to challenge the authority and the holiness of God. The serpent's been doing it from the garden. And he accuses us by challenging the promise and the faithfulness of God. So we see here in Luke chapter 4, the real battle. It's not a physical one, but a spiritual one. We see secondly, how the enemy works. So what are we to do? You all look very serious right now. I think we need some hope. So what do we do? In the wilderness, in the struggles and the hardships of life, third and lastly, we need the sword of the Spirit. What was the weapon that Jesus used? Three times, hearing the temptation of the devil, hearing the accusation of the enemy, what does Jesus use? Three times, he uses the sword of the Spirit. The very word of God. He quotes first Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then he quotes twice from Deuteronomy chapter 6. When Jesus is faced with the temptation and the accusations of the enemy, he pulls out the very word of God. In fact, when he, Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone, the full verse is what? But by the very word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, by the very word of God, this is how humanity survives. He always is using scripture. And when you see Jesus even on the cross, the greatest challenge of his life, what is Jesus doing? He is reciting the very word of God. I don't know about you, but when I'm under pressure... When I'm facing trial, the real me comes out. When you are under the gun and you are feeling the pressures of life, the real you comes out. And what is coming out of Jesus all throughout his life and ministry, when the pressure is overwhelming on Jesus, 
It is the very word that comes out. But listen to me. It is too late when trial comes, when temptation comes into your life. It is too late to build a strategy, to build a habit of understanding the word of God. This requires years of meditation and habits and disciplines of learning and being exposed and meditating and memorizing the word of God so that when trial does come into your life, the word of God comes out. But what was so powerful about the word of God? Why did the word of God, why was it used to fight off the enemy here in the wilderness? You see, it was not only the means of the word of God, but it was the message of the word of God. You see, every time Jesus countered the temptation and the tactics of the enemy, Jesus was submitting himself perfectly to the Father. The devil knew this. If I can somehow tempt and despair Jesus, he won't go to the cross. The devil knew that every time Jesus obeyed the Father, it got him closer to the cross of Jesus Christ. And where did Jesus face the greatest temptation of all? In the Garden of Gethsemane, on that dark night, you can hear it in the words of Jesus when he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want the cup of wrath. I don't want the cup of judgment. You see, even in the garden, he is faced with the trial and the temptation to let the cup pass from him, and the devil knew it. The devil said, I'll give you the kingdom if it means not going to the cross. You see, the word of God has power because it's the story of a Savior who was fully obedient to the Father who fully fulfilled the law of God on your behalf and my behalf, and even submitted to the will of the Father to die on the cross and to take the cup of wrath for you and for me. That is what we celebrate today. Not just a historical moment in place and time, but we celebrate the rediscovery of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he took the cup of wrath on our behalf so that you and I could live forever. This is the hope of the church. This is our only hope in life and in death that Jesus never cowered so that we could live with the hope of the gospel, that Jesus, even on the cross, was for us once and for all. Where Adam failed, Jesus is victorious. Adam ignored the word of God, but Jesus perfectly obeyed it on our behalf. And I want to ask you a question. If Jesus couldn't survive without the word of God, what in the world makes you think you can? Without the power of the word of God being embedded deep into your soul, we have no hope to survive the battles of life. A man recently losing his wife stumbles upon a church and he pours out his heart to the pastor and he said pastor do you have a good word for me and the pastor pulls out a bible and begins to speak words of truth to him and the man says I'll stop you right there I'm French 
And our people abandoned God and his word generations ago. And the preacher said, well, you came to the wrong guy. I'm a preacher of the word of God, and the only good news I have for you is contained in this book. And so week after week, this man came, sad and in despair, and he began to hear the gospel. He began to hear the word of God, and in three months, this man, 85 years old, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He said, I lost my wife, but through the word of God, I found Jesus Christ. It has the power to take the most cynical, wayward, stubborn people and to transform them into sons and daughters of the king. There are some people here this morning and some people watching at home that are dying. You are dying on the outside and you are dying on the inside. And the only good news I have for you this morning is the person of Jesus Christ who we have come to worship and celebrate. So would you surrender your life to him this morning? There is no hope in life. There is no hope in death without acknowledging your sin and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. He is the one that is proclaimed in the word of God. He is the good news that is preached to you this morning. It's the message that changed a man by the name of Martin Luther. It changed the church. It changed the world, but has the power to change your life this morning. And I pray that today, by God's grace and for his glory, that Reformation Sunday would not just be a moment in time that we remember a significant event in history, but it would remind us of the need yet again for another revival and another Reformation by God's grace so that we would be able to say that God is on the move and may it begin right here. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. That, Lord, in the battles and in the struggles of life, and when we hear the temptation of the enemy and we hear the accuser roar, that we would look to Jesus for strength. We would look to the one who did not coward. We would look to the one who perfectly obeyed the Father. We would look to the one, the Son of God and the Son of Man, who perfectly stood in our place, fulfilling the law, even to the point of death, so that we could live forever. How could we not this day hold him up, exalt him as the King of kings and Lord of lords if there's someone here this morning that does not know Jesus? May they surrender. So they could say Reformation Sunday 2022 is the day where I met Jesus and my hope and my salvation is found in Christ alone, not my righteousness, not my good works. They're filthy rags, but my hope is found alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not I, but yet Christ who lives in me. And I pray this in the name of Christ alone. Amen.